Hello, everybody. Welcome back for another edition of Out of Bounds. I'm your host, Spencer Brown. Joining me alongside, we have Dawn Bishop. Hey. Casey Reardon's back for once. Howdy doody. And Christian Ernst. What's up? So we have a lot to discuss today because a lot has happened in the sports world, including how we're going to start the show off today with some NBA blockbuster trade going down. We all heard the rumors, James Harden's out of Houston and his didn't do many justice with his teammates, but he has finally been traded. It has been a four-team deal with the Rockets, Nets, Pacers, and Cavs. Harden going to the Nets. Others in the trade, the Pacers have acquired Karis LeVert in a second rounder, which I believe was from the Cavs. It was a Milwaukee 2022 second round pick, so might be near the end of the draft. Cavs, I think, came out really strong here. They got Jared Allen and Tareen Prince. Allen, because he's very young and he's a good rebounder, I think that could be really good for Cleveland in the future. And then the Rockets had a massive haul. They get Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, another player, three Brooklyn first-round picks in 2022, 2024, 2026, a Milwaukee first, 2022, unprotected. And then the right to swap picks in 21, 23, 25, and 27. And those pick swaps are huge because if you guys remember the uh, infamous KG, Paul Pierce, Nets trade, Boston got a lot of picks there, and a lot of them were pick swaps. They ended up netting guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So be wary of those pick swaps because those can come up to bite them. Uh, I'm going to start Casey first on this. Your overall reaction to the uh, whole trade. I think that every team except the Nets won the trade. Mm. Mm, interesting. So, Here we go in detail. Yeah, I think that every team won this trade except for the Nets because they have no future now. I mean, look, you have a Kevin Durant who's towards the backstage of his career. You have a James Harden who's towards the backstage, even though they're still you know, relatively young at 31, 32. But that doesn't give you a huge window, you know? You have almost no bench depth now with Karis LeVert and Jared Allen gone. You have no future assets and picks. And, look, I mean, they might make a trade with Kyrie Irving that may give them some good assets, but as of how it stands right now, every team but the Nets won the trade. I really like how, I the, I really like how the Rockets, you know, are putting together a solid trio with uh, Boogie, John Wall, and Depot. I think that's going to be a dark horse team now that they have the, you know, cancer out of the locker room that is James Harden. And, yeah, I just think that it's a good trade for everybody involved except for the Nets. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with you to a degree on that. I think the Nets is more short-term. But then, like, long-term, like, those picks, like I've said, can come back to haunt a team like Brooklyn and – uh, we saw what yeah, what happened. So, I'll go Dalton next on your uh, takeaway from this trade. Um, I mean, like at first sight, I thought it was, I thought it was really, really interesting about how the Nets gave up pretty much the house for James Harden. Naturally, uh, I think also. Um, I have to agree with Casey. I think the Nets, if you were to say, or if you were to, um decide a winner, uh, quote-unquote. Um, the Rockets probably did a good job of winning that trade by how much they got in return. 
Um, the Nets, you can make an argument for the Nets just because they, they're probably in win-now mode. But they lost uh, some bench players that were really good role players for their team. Uh, so, but I mean, uh, yeah, I would say probably the Rockets. And I was a bit surprised um, when I saw the Cavs that entered it too. And uh, pretty crazy to think. Um, the Cavs, they got Jared Allen and Tari and Prince, which isn't bad at all. Um, the Pacers kind of kind of caught me off guard. They traded Depot, which, you know, um, we've been we've been thinking that Depot wasn't going to get a long-term deal for a few years now. Um, but I didn't think that the Pacers would only get Karis LeVert in a second-round pick in return. I would have thought they would have gotten a little bit more. But overall, I think I think definitely definitely the Rockets were were on the winning side here. Yeah, Christian, uh, your overall takeaway from the Harden news? Uh, I'm with Casey on this one. I really do think everyone won, but Brooklyn, just because Brooklyn, besides Kevin Durant, like, and even then he's kind of iffy. The the two guards are drama spelled with. You know, Dane gaining a whole lot of weight and not really caring about the team that he's carrying on in Houston. And then with Kyrie uh, out and about, um, you know, the birthday party, not really caring about the COVID protocols, which we're still sadly in right now. But uh, it, it, it's just hard for me to see Brooklyn really winning big with this trade. Um, they're definitely interesting. They have a ton of pressure on them because, honestly, you have three all-stars. This, for them, is finals or bust. Like, they traded away basically their entire future with Karis and uh, Jarrett. So, how really do they benefit? They're not going to benefit, you know, several years down the line. And with uh, Indiana getting Karis, I think that helps. Them just because of all the depot stuff. There's rumors he didn't want to stay there. So him going to Houston. Uh, Kara's kind of starting new with Indiana. Uh, Cleveland, you know, I think is a winner just because they have a replacement for Andre Drummond uh, and Kevin Love, you know, for the next several years with Jarrett. So I think everyone does win besides Brooklyn. They Brooklyn now just needs to win out, basically. Yeah, if Brooklyn, like I mean, you, you're making these moves to go in on this year, maybe next year. They also have a couple years. But I saw, I believe, ESPN bottom line. It was like all these guys can opt out of their contract after 2023. I, so they could. It's going to be a couple years with this team. So if they don't make any finals appearances, that's definitely a huge letdown with how many moves they made. And as we like we were discussing, we were texting a little bit earlier, the state of Houston sports one year ago yesterday was the day the infamous uh, Astros punishment came down. A.J. Hinch got fired. And who would have thought a year later that the Houston Texans, who at that point were coming off a playoff game, they had won one, and then they obviously they blew the game to Kansas City. But they nonetheless, they made it to the playoffs. They won the division. Bill O'Brien's gone. 
Dan Tony was doing – it was all right for the Rockets, but his contract expired, and they just agreed, hey, we're parting ways. DeAndre Hopkins got traded out of nowhere, it seemed, for nothing, really. So just the state of Houston sports one year ago to now is vastly different. So I, I, if you're a Houston sports fan out there, we uh, love to hear from you what your overall thoughts on the state of your sports teams are because, you know, it's definitely a lot different than it was a year ago. Um, on to college football news. There's a couple things I want to highlight. Uh, the first one's the obvious. The national championship game was on Monday night with Alabama, who we all had discussed beforehand. We thought was going to win pretty handily. Like, we all – I know I said 11. I can't remember what you guys had said, but I know we all thought Alabama was going to win by at least seven double digits probably. So, uh, congratulations to Nick Saban again. He's won now seven titles, passing – Paul Bear Bryant for most all time. And I just want to have a discussion about that performance by the Heisman winner, Devontae Smith, because that was one of the best halves of football I've seen. You know, I think it was a breakfast for the Patriot game, so it was obviously the best at that point. Uh, Najee Harris also had a really good game. Huge takeaway, 22 carries, sitting on nine yards. On paper, it looked good, but he also had two touchdowns. He had a receiving one, too. Devontae Smith's final stat line for the game. 12 receive receptions, 215 yards, and three touchdowns. Just a phenomenal performance. Christian, I'll go to you first. Uh, your overall takeaway on the national game. Um, Alabama, they were not playing around. You know, there was a lot of talk about, uh, and really with a professional sport, would any championship, especially this year with the coronavirus, have an asterisk next to it? You know, uh, people talk about the Lakers. People may talk about the Super Bowl, whoever may win, depending on who wins. Uh, Alabama does not deserve an asterisk. They have been the most dominant team in college football, and they showed it. Like, this is one of the best Alabama teams they've ever had, you know, by an amazing wide receiver in Devontae Smith, who may be the first wide receiver taken in the NFL draft. Uh, up in April, and they they killed it. And I'll have to give them credit. Uh, they tried to keep it close in the beginning of the game, but Alabama and Devontae just went off. And we're really not talking about Najee Harris. I mean, his stat line was 22 of, you know, 22 carries of 79 yards. But he was – he was just a monster at times uh, in the passing game, in the running game. So give credit to that. Mac Jones, who is a potential first-round uh, quarterback, probably taken a little bit later. But Alabama, they dominated. They made sure there was no question they were hey, going to be uh, the best team in college football. And just congratulations to them. Yeah. Also, I mean, I just had to pull the stats up. Najee Harris in the receiving game, seven receptions, 79 yards, one touchdown. So, again, credit to Alabama as a whole. They, they just, It was a great game, and they've dominated for a while. And the legend continues. Every single Alabama – or not Alabama, Nick Saban recruiting class dating back to his LSU days. If you stay there three years at Alabama – you won a national championship. That is an impressive resume that not anyone else can say they have, which is a testament to his recruiting and developing of the players. 
Uh, Dawn, I'll go to you next. Your overall takeaways from Alabama's national championship game. Um, I thought it was not even close, obviously. Uh, one team was obviously better than the other. Um, they were just too stacked, man. Too much for Ohio State. And uh, it showed. It showed. Casey, you got any final takeaways from the national championship game this year? Yeah, I just think it proved that Devonta Smith um, was the surefire Heisman candidate this year. I mean, I don't know how you can top 200-plus yards and three touchdowns in the first half of a game. I mean, that's probably one of the most ridiculous stat lines we've seen in a while. Um, also, I just want to say that I don't know – I don't know how Justin Fields' draft stock is going to be after this game, but I don't think he played all too special. Definitely not like he did against Clemson. Yeah, I mean, it's one game, so put the stock in. It was an extra championship as well, though, so put the stock you want. But overall, I think his body of work speaks for himself, and I think he'll be one of the – at least the top – Well, he'll be, he won't be the first size. That's Trevor Lawrence. I think he'll be second or third off the board. We shall see. And other Alabama-related, Arkeesian, their offensive coordinator, it was, I mean, it was all but confirmed beforehand. He's now the head coach of Texas. And then Alabama added a name that familiar to us because if you follow the NFL, you know this guy's name. They hired Bill O'Brien to be their offensive coordinator, which I like the move because uh, we've seen, like, Sarkeesian beforehand, he had battle alcoholic alcoholism when he was at USC and got fired for coming to work allegedly hungover and other issues he had off the field there. But Sarkeesian kind of rebuilt his image with Alabama and other coaches have done the same Lane Kiffin, the list goes on and on. So Bill O'Brien, I was telling someone, I think it was Dalton, that in two years, I think Bill O'Brien will be a head coach, probably another college team, I would imagine. I think because when he was at Penn State before, O'Brien was under sanctions from the Sandusky fallout, so they were not bow eligible at all both years he was there, and they still had much success. And now he's at Alabama where you have top-ranked recruits. You got Bryce Young, who was the top quarterback last year, who basically redshirted this year. Well, not really not if you redshirt or not because everyone gets the eligibility back for this year. But from what I've heard, that kid's special, and you know Alabama, they're going to find good receivers, good running backs. So I think O'Brien – in, in probably two years, within two years, he'll be a head coach at school. Uh, I'll go to Christian first. Just your take on uh, O'Brien trying to rebuild his image. Um, you know, I kind of rip Bill O'Brien a lot just because he did really ruin uh, the Houston Texans, uh, you know, future for the next, you know, especially like, you know, next two to three years, you know, um, so, you know, I don't think I'm going to forgive him on that part, but, I mean, we're all human. We all make mistakes. So, I'm all, I'm wishing nothing but the best for him when he goes to Alabama under Nick Saban. And I really do hope. And I kind of like you said, I think like in two or three years possibly, he may get another uh, shot at being a head coach. Uh, I think he should learn from what happened in Houston and really kind of rebuild his image, rebuild his brand, as you would say, and try to make himself better for it. Because he, he obviously knows football. He's been head coaches, you know, on both levels. He can do it. I mean, Houston was a wild card team last season, 
And at one point they were up 28, nothing against Kansas city. We all know how that went, but he's, you know, he's a good coach, you know, so he knows how to get his guys fired up. So I'm hoping next couple of years he'll get another opportunity. So just, um, you know, kind of sit back, be the offensive coordinator, uh, let Saban do the head coaching, and hopefully you'll get your uh, another chance in a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, Dalton, your uh, takeaway from Bill O'Brien being the OC now at Bama. It didn't really take that long for him to get another job, obviously. And, uh, you know, it's – He'll probably get another head coach in trouble in a few years. Yeah. Casey, any uh, other takeaways? Yeah, I mean, after what he pulled with the Texans, I don't think he deserves to be an NFL head coach or even an offensive coordinator for quite some time. He's definitely going to have to prove himself in uh, college. But if you're going to prove yourself anywhere, it's going to be Alabama. I mean, that, that's probably the easiest job. That's probably the easiest job to uh, prove yourself in. Because even with – bad play calling, you're still going to have great players every single year. Yeah, I mean, he's going to he's just going to dominate again, I think. And coordinating is probably where he belongs for the time being. And we'll see. I mean, I don't know what jobs become available, but I definitely would take a chance on Bill O'Brien because he is still a good offensive mind. And I think the problem with Houston is more of him taking on the GM role is what uh, was the downfall for his NFL career. But anyway, other news and notes before we go to the ad break. NHL, their season has come back, and it's a very unique season for the NHL. And not much has gone on. Like, first day was yesterday. So if anything major happens, we'll break it down for you here. But that's all I have for uh, the first half of the show. We're going to go into our NFL stuff. Anything else you guys have to add before we go to the ad break? No, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have anything. Okay, so we'll take a quick ad break and we'll be back. Welcome back from our ad break. And here's our NFL segment for the show. We have a lot to uncover from a crazy wildcard weekend, previewing divisional matchups. But first, some news in the uh, coaching department with uh, a kind of a surprise uh, firing. Not really if you pay attention, but more so for me at least, the timing of it was very suspicious in my opinion. But the fact to move on from head coach Doug Peterson, first won the franchise their first Super Bowl a few years ago, and now the statue that's outside of their stadium of. Uh, Doug Peterson, Nick Foles, both those guys are now out of town. So, but I mean, again, they've won their franchise first Super Bowl. So, again, there will be legends in the city forever, but neither of them are currently with the team. Uh, Christian, I know you have a lot of thoughts, so I'm going to start with you first on your opinion on the Doug Peterson firing. Um, I think it was a really good move for Philadelphia. Um, just like you all know in my opinion, and I've said this on air, uh, about what happened when they played Washington back a couple weeks ago. It, like, to me, you can't say you want to play a guy and say that he has your best chance of winning when you never really played him before the season. And a lot of rumors uh, with broken relationships between, like, Carson Wentz 
and other players on the team. Uh, a lot of leaks about how players had to hold other players back to go in after him. And I think originally, you know, say if they did lose that match, they kept Jalen in. I think Doug still has a job just because, okay, they tried, they failed, you know, that's football, but really kind of like screwing over themselves. Um, even though they wouldn't be in the playoffs, they still kind of screwed themselves out of a win. And, I mean, really, Doug wasn't fired earlier just because of the Super Bowl win a couple of years ago. Uh, a lot of that team is just kind of torn down, a lot older, retired, players gone away. So it's kind of a shell of itself from 2017. And there's a lot of rumors saying that Carson Wentz is thinking about staying uh, just because, you know, the relationship between him and Doug were really bad. So I think Philly, it's a good move for them. And they are kind of in a rebuild mode as it is. Uh, they're trying to find, you know, their solid quarterback of the future, whether it is Carson, Jalen, or someone else. They're trying to rebuild what they had a couple of years ago. And I think I think they had some nice pieces around them. They just need a couple of years, and they could be a threat in the NFC East again. So I think for me, mainly it's just it's a good move. I'm not really – kind of like Bill Bryant, I don't he, – he screwed himself out of this job, but hopefully he gets a coordinating job, whether in the NFL or college or something, and, uh, you know, he kind of regains momentum and possibly being a head coach somewhere else. And that Super Bowl title gives you some leverage because we saw with McCarthy, I mean, it took him a year or two to get back in there. But that Super Bowl win, even though no matter how long ago it is, it speaks volume and they know you can get the job done. So someone's going to take a chance. And it depends who they hire because, like you said, Carson might want to stay now. The next head coach there probably will have no ties to Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts. So, you know, they'll have a whole offseason to see them work out and then make a decision come next season. But Carson Wentz could probably stay on the roster next year because it's going to be Carson or Doug next year. They decide they wanted to possibly keep Carson. Dalton, your uh, thoughts on Eagles firing Doug Peterson? Um, I was kind of surprised at first. I didn't realize that they'd get rid of him. Um, now, uh, I thought that they would make roster moves first before getting rid of the coach. But I get it. I mean – the NFL's a business, and if you're not up to par, then you get the boot. So, uh, I mean, obviously, playing and coaching in Philadelphia is hard enough as it is. Um, the fans there are really demanding um, and really crazy, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I'm not really surprised at all. Uh, Casey, your final thoughts on the whole Eagles situation? Yeah, I think it's a good move to let go to Doug Peterson. I mean, after that stunt he pulled with pulling Jalen Hurts out of the game when he was not playing as bad as Carson Wentz. I mean, Carson has played bad all year. I mean, league leader in interceptions, most sacks taken. I mean, worst passer rating. I mean, he's been abysmal. I mean, there's there's no excuses for that. I mean, play calling be what it is. 
But the quarterback's got to take some responsibility for his play. And I just think that Doug Peterson lost the respect of his team. You know, he they did not rally behind him. And that's what happens when you don't have the respect of your guys. I mean, you're not going to be a winning football team if you do not demand excellence and respect every single week. And he didn't – he just didn't get the job done. Now, with that being said, I do think he is a good offensive mind, and I do think he will get a coordinator job somewhere. I do not think he'll be a head coach in the near future because of the stunts that he's been pulling in Philly. And, again, with the fans, I mean, the fans just demand excellence. They demand their teams to be good. They are tired of losing for all these years. I mean, look, I mean, you have the Phillies who have been awful – Got the Sixers who had a long stretch of being terrible, and even the Eagles who were terrible for quite some time. They want to win, and and Doug Peterson just couldn't get the job done after that Super Bowl. Yeah, well, again, we'll keep you updated if Doug Peterson gets a coordinating gig or even a head coaching job. We'll update you and give you our thoughts on that. Uh, other coordinating news, not really surprised he found a job because he was fired mid-season, but Dan Quinn is the new defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, team up with Mike McCarthy. So, we'll see how that moved. Dan Quinn, of course, if you are unfamiliar with his uh, resume before the Falcons, he was in Seattle during the Legion of Boom days, and he won a Super Bowl there. Was He was only a D.C. in Seattle for two years. But those two years, they won a Super Bowl, and they were won the NFC the next year and lost the Super Bowl. And then he's in Atlanta, his second season there. Atlanta's in the Super Bowl. So he has experience coaching far into the playoffs, which Dallas hasn't seen in a long time. But I get And his defense, his numbers may not show it necessarily in Atlanta this past year, but he is a very good coordinator. And if he can get Dallas to look similar to those early 2000s, uh, Seahawks defenses, that could, that's potentially a really scary defensive front out there and secondary. So, okay, we'll have to see what happens. But I, I really do love this hire for the Cowboys. Uh, Casey, first, uh, your thoughts on Dan Quinn going to the Dallas Cowboys? I love the hiring. I mean, the Cowboys have not had a good defense. We've known that's been their struggle. Offense is very, very good when healthy. I think Dak Prescott is a very underrated quarterback, especially with his production. Um, Zeke, you know, has had a down year. But, again, the offensive line was hurt. And then I think they have good wide receiver and, you know, good future at, at offense. But defense is just missing one or two pieces on the D-line and the secondary. Yeah, you have Demarcus Lawrence, who you know was not as effective this year, but I think Dan Quinn will get that out of them. I mean, we know we all know how mean and vicious those Legion of Boom players were. I mean, I mean the typical build for those players was height, weight, and speed. I want to see that ferocity being brought back to Dallas and really turn that defense around into what the Legion of Boom was. Yeah, I think drafts can be very key for them. It depends who they get. I'm looking at uh, this year. Like last year, they drafted Trayvon Diggs, who had a pretty good year, I believe. 
So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Dalton, your thoughts on uh, Dan Quinn inheriting this Cowboys defense? Um, I mean, I hey, think Susan. it's going to be a good move. Only time will tell, really. <laughs> Whoa, Susan. Um, only time will tell, I think, just because – Atlanta was just such a train wreck after Kyle Shanahan left that he just – it was just too much. Um, but I think really um, – I think their defense will obviously be better because Mike Nolan is atrocious as a, as a coordinator. Um, he has been for – since he's been in the league. Um, but, I mean, yeah, that's – that's just what I think about, about yeah. the hire. Uh, Christian, any other thoughts on Dan Quinn getting the job for the Cowboys? Um, defense I coordinator? think it's going to be good for Dallas, I think, the next several years. Uh, Dallas is a heaping of a mess. Um, and really defensively, you know, Casey got, you know, he brought into that. Defensive line, I really don't trust any of their starters. Um you know, Randy Gregory, Tyrone Crawford's getting a lot older. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is probably their best defensive lineman by a mile. And if they, you know, go in the free agency or possibly the draft and focus in on uh, defense this year or getting some help defensively, I think they'll be in a better place. Offensive, you know, I think they'll get Dak back. I think they're going to pay him – at least, you know, some money because Andy Dalton and uh, Gary Gilbert and Ben DiNucci and whoever they had at quarterback uh, wasn't really the answer. Zeke does not look the same Zeke that, you know, even a couple of years ago. Uh, they have great receivers in Amari, Gallup, and CD. Uh, tight end, you know, it's, it's an area possibly of concern. Their offensive line is getting – a lot older and it doesn't seem like they're going to get a lot better. So they just have a lot of problems. And I think defensively, you know, getting Dan Quinn, uh, it'll at least help, you know, one side of the football, you know, you know, uh, developing uh, Trayvon Diggs, you know, as a possible number one corner, uh, Jordan Lewis and uh, Anthony Brown. So they have pieces there defensively. And I think Dan Quinn going on at Dallas staff will really uh, help Dallas the next, you know, couple of years. Yeah. And also of note, the Cowboys office coordinator is Kellen Moore, who last couple of years he has been not as good, but he started off his career very impressive. and was gathering some head coaching interests. So we'll see how that team obviously fares after free agency and whatnot. But another – interesting hire that we all kind of saw coming because it was reported early in fantasy that the Jacksonville Jaguars were interested in one guy and one guy only. And that guy was Mr. Urban Meyer. So they're replacing Doug Marone, also a guy to start in college and went to the NFL. He was at Syracuse from 9 to 12 before going to Buffalo and then bringing up, going over to Jacksonville and then working his way to be head coach there. So Jacksonville, I guess, loves getting former college coaches at the helm. But Urban's an interesting hire because he has twice retired in his career. He's only 
56 years old because he was at Florida, but then he had family, wanted to spend time with his family. He goes to Ohio State, and then he leaves Ohio State because from what I remember, it was a health scare that if he was to still coach, it would have been very stressful on him, and he possibly could have killed him. So, again, I don't know if he's two years away. Also, there was a whole issue with uh, one of his former defensive coordinators at Ohio State who allegedly – was abusive towards his spouse. And I don't know what if, what came out of that. It's been a couple of years since that incident happened. But Urban Meyer still, he's a quality football coach. He knows how to win. He won two titles at Florida, won a title at Ohio State. And his Ohio State tenure, he never lost more than two games each season he was there. So that is just impressive that he was consistently winning there. And Florida he was also very good. Same when he was at Utah. We had Alex Smith at quarterback, actually, at Utah. He has won at the college level. We'll see how he transitions to the NFL level and how long he lasts. Because, like I said, he has known for retiring at, like kind of out of the blue, really. So, But I, I think it's a good hire. And it depends how he builds his staff, I think. And, again, Jaguars have the number one pick, which we presume is going to be Trevor Lawrence. They, what I've heard reports, they have the most cap space this year, so he's got a lot of talent to work with, and we'll we'll see how he does because I think it's potentially they could be win the division in like two years. I'll go Dalton first. Uh, your reaction to the Urban Urban Meyer hire that happened earlier today? Um, on the surface, it seems like a good move. Um. Obviously, he's never had any NFL experience. Um, but winning at any level says something about who you are as a coach and the type of things that you demand as a coach. Um, so, I think I think I think that'll probably work out. Uh, my only concern is that um, he's retired in the past, really early, and he's got health issues. Um, so I was confused why he accepted the job to begin with, but you know I, I you know I totally get it. Um, so yeah, I could probably. I mean, they do have uh, the most cap space, like you said, Spence. Uh, so they'll be surprised if the Jaguars start making moves in free agency, getting their quarterback. They could be they could be in the running for the I'm division. I'm looking at uh, guys that year. he has previously coached, and he actually has. Previously coached one guy who's currently NFL head coach, and that was Mike Vrabel. Vrabel spent time in 2011 as a linebackers coach, 2012 and 13 as defensive line coach at Ohio State. And, of course, Vrabel also had NFL playing experience that I think also gave him a leg up in the competition when he was to go to Houston to coach there and then get the Titans job. So that's going to be interesting when the Titans and the Jags play to see that uh, the former – they were both on the same Ohio State staff at one point. Casey, your takeaway from Urban Meyer getting hired for the Jaguars. I like it. I mean, Urban Meyer is obviously a proven winner. He knows how to develop talent. I mean, I mean, go back to his Florida days when you had Cam, you had Tebow, and I hate to bring it up, but you're going to have Hernandez. But the thing is, I don't know about his, his discipline. I mean, we see that time at Florida. I mean, I mean, they earned the nickname Convict U. I mean, that's not a good reputation to have, obviously. So we're going to see how 
he handles, you know, the discipline aspect of, the, of being an NFL coach, the respect aspect, because we all need all we need to know he's a winner. I mean, we all have seen, you know, just the sheer dominance of Ohio State during his tenure, the dominance of Florida back when they had Tebow and, of course, him there. Yeah, I'm just worried about, you know, keeping everybody in check. Christian, your uh, takeaways from the situation. I mean, with uh, with Jacksonville, they are going. I don't think they're going to be a you know contender right away, but I do think um, free agent wise, they're they're a little bit more attractive with Urban with Trevor Lawrence. You know, they are going to have some uh, you know free agent eyes looking into Jacksonville like, okay, maybe maybe I'll stay over there and see what happens in Jacksonville. And in the AFC South, I mean really only Tennessee from next you know, next year we're thinking is gonna be the only real team uh who has a shot in the AFC South. Uh the Colts with Philip Rivers, we may get into that. So, you know, Jacksonville brings you know, Urban brings like another element to like Jacksonville could be a serious, a serious uh, player in the NFL season next year. So I think it's great for Jacksonville. The fan base loves it. Uh, I have a personal friend that absolutely loves that pickup. So I think Jacksonville – and they have good players on that team. You know, DJ Chark is really good. Um, they just drafted uh, – who was the corner? Uh Yep, TJ Henderson, and I think yeah, he's going to be uh, he's going to be a real nice corner for them. You know, they have oh, that's right, and Josh, Josh Allen, Allen too. He's been forward. around a lot. You know, oh, he he's God. had a little sparks, but you know, he you know developed him really well. I think he could be a serious uh, pass rusher for them. So they have some good pieces in Jacksonville that Urban can develop and actually make into a possible contender in the next couple of years. So for right now, it's huge. They got to see what, you know, what's out there in free agency, uh, how are they going to handle the draft besides Trevor Lawrence, you know, probably build that offensive line and probably the linebacker depth for, for them. So I think it's going to be really interesting. It Jacksonville's a really interesting story for the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, as I said earlier, we're keeping you updated on NFL GM hirings. And again, not so, these names may not be familiar to you because I'm not familiar with a lot of these names. But uh, I, you're going to laugh at this guy's name, possibly, if you're uh, familiar with U.S. history. And the, the uh, Broncos hired a guy named George Patton, not to confuse General Patton, obviously. This Patton's only spelled with one T in the last name. But Broncos have hired their GM. Lions hiring Brad Holmes from the Los Angeles Rams. Panthers Browns got Scott Fitter from the Seahawks. He's been there since 2001. So some experienced guys who have been in the league, been in the front office, that are now getting a chance at the front office job. I'll go with Dalton first, uh, specifically on Brad Holmes. I know when I talked to you earlier, you didn't know a ton about him, but uh, is there anything you learned that the Lions are getting with uh, Brad Holmes? Um, I learned that he's incredibly good at his job. Uh, 
so he was so he's the person who was in charge of our college scouting um and really i credit him and his staff for finding all of the gems that we've found in the draft for the past three or three or four years uh and especially in like the later rounds uh, but not having to deal with like not having to work with first round picks um the job that he's done for our team uh, was was great, and he definitely deserved the GM job. I hope that he turns the uh, Detroit yeah. Lions around because they've had Honestly, enough. Well, personally, like, you feel yeah. sorry for them more than feel like you just feel sorry that Detroit is just Detroit. That's what you. Detroit is just Detroit. <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel sorry for them. Yeah, it's one yeah. thing Cleveland's not. Cleveland is not, not Detroit because Cleveland's in the playoffs, and Detroit's not this year. Uh. Any other – you, Casey <laughs> or Christian, any thoughts on uh, the Panthers hire or the Broncos hire at all? Because I don't know much about them to go with. Uh, yeah. uh, personally, I think – now, I – now, with me, like, yeah, I like Detroit. Uh, the, you know, two easy wins for Green Bay I think is huge. Uh, well, not huge, but, you know, good. But at the same time, you feel bad for Detroit because I think last year they had a stat where it's like, if they only played three quarters, they would have had 10-plus wins. Like, they would have been – I think the closeout thing was more on Patricia not being Oh, absolutely. Coach. But at the same time, it's like, oh, that's what I'm saying. You feel bad for Detroit just because they are – they can win. Like, and y'all – y'all rip me sometimes. But I think Matt Stafford is a super underrated quarterback. And oh, he's he gets great. to a team. He goes to he any team – uh, like a San Fran or, um, you know, there's probably other options I'm not thinking, like a Denver maybe. Like, he has a real chance of making the playoffs with that team because he's he is really talented. Uh, he was the first overall pick for a reason, but he got picked in Detroit, and he's kind of had a wasteful uh, career, and he's only had like one or two playoff um, runs in his entire career. So – for Detroit, you know, especially getting a GM that was a college scout, you know, he's going to know, especially uh, when the draft comes around every year, like, okay, you know, this guy, he, you know, he knows what to look for in those late round gems and he can make Detroit, you know, I wouldn't like it, but he would make a Detroit possible contender in the NFC North. So it's a good pickup for them. All right. Hopefully these guys, I mean, I don't know, I'm say, I mean, you never want to root for the downfall of anybody. So, I mean, I hope they have success and that they could all be good in their respective jobs that they have. Anyway, that about wraps up our uh, coaching and GM segment of the show. On to the NFL playoffs that uh, last week, of course, was wild card round, super wild card round because they had those two extra games. So, we're going to uh, break it down game by game just to – give you our thoughts to the going in order of how the games took place. So first off we had Indianapolis and Buffalo where Buffalo edged them out 27-24. And I thought it was an overall a very good game. I thought Allen was impressive as always. But the one thing that I think we're all gonna remember is how that game ended. There was a lot of refs that got involved because I mean the refs need to get involved because we had to make calls. But there was a lot of confusion for at least me as a viewer because it's like, wait, so they called timeout here, but then they got it back because they over 
Turner, they ruled that, oh, this, we were going to review it anyway. It was, made no sense what was going on at the end of the game. And then Rivers just uh, choked it away at the end, as the Colts would have done anyway. But Buffalo, first playoff win in 25 years. It, congratulations to them and their fans, as much as I don't really like seeing that happen. But Buffalo, I mean, again, they played well, and they got the win. So, they're moving on. So, I'll go uh, Christian first on this. Your takeaway from the uh, Colts-Buffalo game. Um, Wow, yeah, like you mentioned, that was an absolute garbage fire, what happened at the end of the game with uh, – I, I seriously – don't know what the heck happened. I'm not even going to try and analyze what the crap happened. But for Indianapolis, it is a crushing blow. Um, and, you know, Phillip Rivers played a decent game. You know, he was 27 to 46, over 300 yards. The, you know, the offensive line played really well. Uh, they ran the ball, you know, very well. Had uh, three yards on the ground. And yeah, this is this is a real good team in Indianapolis that I think is a quarterback away. You know, they were eleven and five with Phillip Rivers, and I'm not saying Phillip Rivers is a terrible quarterback, but he's 37, 38. He's he is getting a lot older, and there's a there was a report today that him and Chris Ballard have talked and how he's going to step away from Indianapolis and make his decision. Uh, you know, if he wants to retire and go off in the sunset, then he had an amazing career. I think he is a possible Hall of Famer uh, later on down the line. And Indianapolis, their focus is, you know, who who's going to be the guy in charge. And I think if they uh, – because I don't know. I forget. Do they have a first-round pick or do they trade that to San Fran for Buckner? They traded that pick for Buckner. Okay, so they may want to uh, look in the free agent market to see any quarterbacks available if Phillip does leave and just see what they got because I think they have a really good team. Jonathan Taylor came on late, um, and I think he's really nice. Uh, Naheem Hines had a good a good couple runs for them. And, I, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. I like. You know, there's a lot of guys in Indianapolis – that can seriously play in that defense, especially early in midseason, they were dominant. But Buffalo, Josh Allen is just another beast. And, you know, we'll talk about them, you know, more in depth later. But I think Buffalo is a great win for them. Um, I'm happy for the the Bills, uh, the Bills Mafia, you know, being able to actually watch Buffalo win a huge playoff game. Closer than I think a lot of us thought, but it was a great moment for them and just excited to see what happens in the next couple weeks. Yeah, and again, Stephon Diggs was a huge portion of why that game was in Buffalo's favor, I think. Uh, I'll go to Casey next. Your takeaway from the Colts-Bills game. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Taylor's Supposed fumble, if it was a fumble or if it wasn't. I mean, and that, that game was a really weird ending. But I, to be honest, I'm glad the Bills pulled it out. I mean, I like the Buffalo Bills. I think they're a fun organization. I think they got some good, fun players to watch. I mean, you got Josh Allen, who had a potential MVP year. You got Stephon Diggs, who had a potential OPOY player of the year. 
But yeah, I just I think the Bills have a chance to go far in the playoffs and are definitely not a team to be taken lightly. And, uh, Don, any other final thoughts on that matchup? Um, uh, Bills Mafia, and the, uh, baby. The second game was a game that was a mild surprise for some of us was the Rams-Seahawks in the game that started with John Wolford getting the start for the Rams, and then he gets injured, and then Goff, who wasn't planning on being played, was thrust into action, and he ended up competing well, and they ended up getting the win. But, of course, QB wins the way that it's set up is the guy who starts the game, so John Wolford is now 1-0 in his NFL playoff career, despite only playing like less than a quarter of that game. But again, credit to the Rams for getting it done. Russell Wilson was it was one of his worst games I've ever seen him play. He was 11 of 27, got the yardage 174 and two touchdowns, but an interception that was a huge blow. And also was sacked five times. Whereas golf wasn't like super, uh, but again, golf was an injured thumb. So his numbers aren't that impressive. 9 of 19, 155, a touchdown. But again, golf only played three quarters of the game from what I saw. So it was it's gonna be interesting to see if they can bounce back in a, in a very tough game that we are gonna it's gonna be great to preview that next game for the Rams. But again on the Seattle game, they played well. Cam Akers, 28, 30, 28 for 131 and a touchdown. So credit for the Rams going into Seattle. Of course, no fans. But they went on the road and got the win. So I'll go Dalton last on this because I know he has a lot of thoughts on this game, but I'll go Christian first. You're taking from the Rams-Seahawks game. Um, wow. Um, we were wrong. I thought Seattle at home. <laughs> Me and you yeah, both. I, I was totally wrong. Um, I thought Seattle would seriously go in. Uh, it's their home field. You know, of course, no fans. Home field advantage doesn't really matter this year. But I thought, you know, they were going to come in and, you know, they were going to defend their turf and they were seriously going to whoop the Rams – uh, with John Wolford, um, you know, sad, like it was like a neck injury or something. Am I right on that? I caught, I caught the game late. Yeah, um, so, you know, sad for him, yeah, you know, going game. to hospital and him being out uh, for this week. But for this game, I mean, defense was the real story behind it. I mean, they did not give Russell anything. You know, we – DK Metcalf, he did have a couple big catches, but at the same time, he only had, like, five catches altogether. Like, he he was really shut down by Jalen Ramsey and that Rams defense to, a, you know, to a point. And for L.A., I mean, without that pick six, they it's – a, it's a three-point game. Like, this was a game up until the end. Um, so, you know, congratulations to LA and to Dalton. Uh, I, I'm wrong. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit it. I thought LA was not going to show up offensively. They really didn't besides Cam Makers. Um, but yeah, I think LA, it's a huge win for them when they were basically a huge underdogs to Seattle. So, uh, I applaud to you. That's all I got to say. Yeah, uh, Casey, any takeaway from that game? Yeah, I mean, I think that the Seahawks' defense played a little bit of a dirty game, uh, especially with that hit on John Wolford. 
I uh, really wanted him to see that, see him play the game and see what he could do. I mean, I, I, I really like the story, but you know, Jared Goff came in hurt and still performed. Um, the Seahawks just did not come to play on defense. I mean, their offense was stagnant at best with maybe one or two explosive plays. I mean, we had that, we saw that big DK Metcalf touchdown on the blown coverage. Um, other than that, there wasn't really many notable big plays on the offensive side. The, I mean, yeah, like Christian said, the big story was the defense. I mean, the Rams have the number one ranked defense and the number one ranked scoring defense for a reason. It's because they're literally a walking big play. Yeah, I mean, Dolan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Don't the Rams lead the league in pick sixes this year? Oh, man. That's good. That's impressive. They also had one last yeah, game, so Dolan, yeah. I know you're happy, so we'll give you your moment to glow. Just uh, what impressed you the most with that game last week? I wasn't surprised. Uh, this is Aaron Donald's team this year, and um, I told you, I told you last week, I was like, defense is gonna have to win the game for us, and uh, they did. I thought, I thought at the very beginning, John Wolford wasn't doing that bad. Like, for a first playoff game, he was doing okay, um, uh, of course. And then, you know, he takes that hit by Jamal Adams. And, you know, the uh, the rule makers will say that he was deemed a runner. Um, I still think <laughs> – it's so dumb. Defensive backs will lead with their shoulder and their head, which is probably the dumbest thing that you could do. Uh, but John was already on the ground at that point. So I think just, you know, a two-hand touch would have been okay. But, you know, they got to they gotta make the big play, got to get on Sports Center, and, they, and actually it was kind of dangerous because he, cause John had to go to the hospital and make sure it wasn't anything more than a neck stinger. Uh, I saw that, and then maybe a few plays later, Jared Goff throws it down the sideline to Cooper Cup, and Cooper Cup moss Jamal Adams, and um, I thought that was bittersweet. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, Goff did just enough. He didn't turn the ball over. And, uh, yeah, now uh, Seattle – or yeah, excuse me, the Rams defense has pretty much owned Seattle for the past, like, three years. Uh, even even when the Rams were bad, um, Jeff Fisher days, they were constantly, constantly getting pressure on Russell Wilson, constantly getting to him and making the Seattle Seahawks, like, play really, really hard and earn every single – win every time that they played them. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, doesn't surprise me. Division rivals, they play for the third time this year. Um, Seattle Seahawks were smoking cigars after the Division West title or the uh, the NFC West title that they won. Yeah, I mean, you um, always – I mean, winning division still a reason to celebrate. Round, you take every so. victory you can in the NFL, but now the playoffs come around and that backfired, I guess, in a way. Another game where you can say something backfired, but I think it's just, you know, pl- young players wanting to compete in the playoffs was Buccaneers taking on Washington. And a game that was closer than I think people thought. I mean, the line was eight, so it ended up being a push. I think maybe, maybe it got to nine. So, but Washington, they looked impressive. Taylor Heineke in his first career playoff start, 26 of 44, 306 yards. But, of course, you're playing Tom Brady in the playoffs. 
Brady goes over 380 yards, two touchdowns. And for the first time in his career, had two touchdown passes of more than 20 yards, which I thought was kind of impressive in his own right. But Bucks going in. I mean, Chase Young beforehand is like, hey, I want Tom Brady again. Again, he's a rookie, and he wants to play arguably the greatest player to ever play the game. So, and it's not his fault that, again, he's confident in his ability. And Chase Young, to his credit, is a very good player, making the uh, O-line for Tampa work. But in the end, Tampa came on top, got their first playoff win since their Super Bowl title, actually, when they won with John Green was the head coach there. So their fans have longed to see a playoff win. And they, I guess a lot of teams this weekend, Tampa Bay, as we mentioned earlier, Buffalo, and then we'll get to later on Cleveland, getting their first playoff win in a very long time, respectively, for their franchises. But I'll go, uh, Casey, first. Your takeaways from Tampa Bay and Washington. I think that Tampa Bay had no business winning this game. I mean, I don't think they showed up. I think they vastly underestimated the Washington football team. Taylor Heineke came to play with everything he had. And, you know, they were fired up. They just they just wanted it more, I think. Tampa Bay, they just... They didn't, they didn't really bring the intensity that you want a Super Bowl-caliber team to bring. I think it was way closer than it should have been. And I'm disappointed that the Washington football team didn't pull it out, but they'll be back. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a young and good – Yeah, I think you should team. get the answer at quarterback. And maybe it is Heineke or – I mean, I don't know. Alex Smith was a good story. I don't know how long-term that works. So, we'll see the offseason, what moves they make. Because, again, they were 7-9 this year, and I think they have the potential to be a lot better. And Heineke is going to draw a lot of interest, possibly in a backup spot, maybe even competing for a starting gig somewhere. Uh, Dolan, your opinion on the Buccaneers' victory over the football team? Um, it's closer than I thought it was going to be. Uh, Washington was the Washington defense has been good all year. They were top, they were top five, um, but their offense was the question. And, um, you know, Tyler Heineke was, he was good for, you know, Tampa Bay having a, having a good defense. Um, yeah, kind of, you know, if they had just had more, uh, if they, if they had just had like a little bit, a better quarterback situation. I don't know if Tampa wins that game. I really don't. They only put up 23 points, 21 points, something like that. It was in the, it was in the low 20s. Um, and for being a team led by Tom Brady and the offensive weapons that you have, you have Gronk, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, the list just goes on and on. They got 2,000-yard yeah. rushers in the back. No, he's in Le'Veon Bell. Like it's like they have an all star team. They have an all star team on offense, and um, it just blows my mind that they only scored twenty three points. Like the Washington football team with Taylor Heineke at quarterback was in that game until the very end. Pretty crazy, and I think they're going to lose this week. But um, they being the Bucks, but who knows? Um, 
Yeah, it didn't really surprise me that Tampa yeah. Bay won. Christian, uh, your takeaways from a convincingly win. Kind of a doozy of a game in court. Everyone else, I mean, it was closer than expected. Just what did you take away from that Bucks? Um, game? Yeah, exact same was what Golden and Casey have said. Uh, Tampa Bay only, you know, they put up 31 points, which is a good amount of points. But Washington came back, you know, and they kept fighting the entire game. And I. I mean, I, I've been on Washington for a while just because of I respect the crap out of their coach, Ron Rivera. Uh, with every situation they've been through in 2020 with, uh, you know, the whole rebranding change to coaching hire to Dwayne Haskins to, I mean, just everything going on in Washington. They still prevailed winning the NFC East 7-9. and nine. And then they were eight points away. They were a touchdown and two-point conversion away from tying Tampa, you know, Tampa Bay and maybe even winning that game. So, pass off to Washington. But, yeah, Tom Brady, yeah, he threw over 380 yards, two touchdowns, and they ran decently well. But a team like Washington should not compete with Tampa Bay with how like they're a Madden team. Them and Kansas City are Madden teams. You turn salary cap off, you get Leonard Fournette, you get this guy, you get that guy. Uh, the fact that they only won by eight and not really convincingly win, um, it's a little scary if I'm Buccaneer fans. Uh, you know, great win for them. You know, it's been a long time since they won. Uh, nothing getting away from that, but. They if if this game was like forty something to like fourteen or seventeen, that'd be like okay, you know it's a whole different story. But you know Washington's defense they they played the best they could, and the offense played a lot better than I thought. So Tampa's really got to come at it this week against New Orleans, who I don't think you know I'll get my prediction on that, but it's gonna be a hard game for them. Yeah. Uh, it was Taylor Heineke. He was the story to watch, and one of the most impressive performances in a playoff game. No expectations at all. He was really well. On to the uh, Sunday slate. We had the first game was Baltimore and Tennessee, where the Ravens winning twenty thirteen rematch of a game that they had played earlier this year. It was a playoff game a year ago, where Tennessee had won the previous couple games, but yeah, Lamar had bookmarked this game. And Lamar, 17-24, 179 yards through the air. No touchdown. He did have an interception. On the ground, he was 16-136 for a touchdown, including a 48-yard rushing touchdown. On And then credit to the Baltimore defense, holding Derrick Henry, who we, as we discussed last week, eclipsed two dozen yards on the season. He was only 18 for 40 yards, 2.2 yards per carry. And long of eight yards. So Derrick Henry was – Basically a non-factor in that game. Tannehill was kind of impressive. I'll give him credit where it's due. But Baltimore was able to just edge them out, and Lamar's finally got a playoff victory in his belt. And I'm happy to see them because that Baltimore team is has a chance to be special. We'll see how they do this week, and we'll give our prediction on that later on. But I was very impressed with Baltimore's play this past week. Uh, I'll go Casey first. Your takeaway from Baltimore and Tennessee. Yeah, I think Baltimore played well. They definitely could have played better on offense, but, you know, the Tennessee Titans, they have 
a decent secondary, but have absolutely no pass rush. Almost dead last in in sacks. Um, although they did get pressure on Lamar almost every play. I mean, I like how Lamar, you know, started off cold, had an interception, and then, you know, got going. You know, punched out the back of his mind, got going, and finished the game, and it was ended up to plot a win for his first playoff. Christian, your uh, takeaways from that game? Uh, it's a big game. I think this is a bigger game for Lamar than really Baltimore itself. Uh, he's had two playoff games so far. Uh, the game against the Chargers uh, back a couple of years ago, which I don't think anybody gave Baltimore a real chance because, you know, that, you know, Lamar and the whole Joe Flacco situation. But it's a rookie. Yeah, true. Game. But and a lot of people kind of thought, oh, you know, he's overrated. He's not going to be the quarterback of the future. Oh, my gosh. Baltimore fans were just uh, super mad about that. But I think – I think especially what happened last year when Tennessee came to Baltimore and they just whooped them. Uh, that kind of woke up Baltimore, and they're like, we cannot allow them to embarrass us again. And Lamar didn't play, you know, a great game in the air. He had 179 yards. He was sacked five times, but he is a mobile quarterback. He runs a lot. But – I mean, I, I remember when he had a 49 or 44-yard touchdown or whatever, and I text you, I was like, man, he's fast. Like, you forget how much he can just turn it on, and he's the fastest player on the field. So that element of Lamar's game uh, really stepped up for Baltimore and really helped them. And, of course, the Marcus Peter interception was, you know, huge for him to end the game. But – uh, you know, I, I think it's a huge, huge win for Baltimore. Uh, I'm really interested in this matchup this week when they play the Bills. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a complete blowout, but I'll get my prediction on that. But I, I'm just great for Lamar finally getting his first playoff win, a revenge win against uh, Tennessee. And my gosh, where the hell was Derrick Henry? I mean, he only got 40 yards combined, and his longest run was eight like, credit Baltimore's defense for shutting down uh, Derrick Henry. Because I thought if Derrick goes off, this game's done. And they did a great job of just shutting them down. And that's that was the, I think that's probably the bigger key than Lamar. So, credit for Yeah. I mean, I guess they zeroed in because they saw last year in the playoffs and earlier this year, Derrick Henry's – you stopped Derrick Henry, you got a good chance in this game. Uh, Dolan, you have any thoughts on this game? Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. I'm not surprised by the Baltimore Ravens rushing numbers as the Titans rush defense has been terrible all year. The Baltimore Ravens rushed for 236 yards in a playoff game. That's ridiculously good. Um, so, I mean, Baltimore defense is going to be the story here. Um, it's actually going to be the story for the rest of the playoffs as next week they play the Bills, which is a top five offense. So we'll see next week um, just how good this Ravens pass defense and run defense is going to be. Uh, yeah. Another game, this game wasn't really close great at all. Job. I mean, it was close for about a half. And then New Orleans did enough to get the win. But, 
uh, Chicago's dreadful. I don't mean they went eight and eight, but because of the expanded playoffs, they got in. Uh, twenty-one and nine with the Bears score a last-second touchdown from Mitchell Trubisky to Jimmy Graham, where I mean it was at the end of the game, nothing really needed to happen there. So I mean, New Orleans, yeah, they did enough to get the win. Kamara, he's of course twenty-three yards, nine-nine, twenty-three carries, nine-nine yards, one touchdown. Um, I don't have much to say about this game. I mean, I just watched the regular broadcast. I didn't really care to see Nickelodeon. I don't know if any of you guys watched the Nickelodeon broadcast. So I feel like it was, again, if you're a child and don't know much about football, that was, a, from what I heard, it was good informative. But as again, just as a football game, New Orleans did what they need to do. They got the win and survived in advance. I'll go uh, Christian first on this. Your takeaway from – New Orleans versus the Bears. Uh, the Bears are not even close to what they were uh, even a couple of years ago. Uh, I have a buddy who I work with uh, at my college gym, and he's from Chicago. So he he knew this game was just not going to go their way at all. Uh, defensively, it was a great matchup defensively. You know, New Orleans offense just was not that explosive, as you would say. And they just could not find the end zone on a lot of drives. So, you know, credit Chicago's defense for doing that. But, man, they they got to figure out – Chicago has to figure out their offense because uh, there was a lot of talk about if Mitch, if Mitch won this game and they possibly went to Lambeau Field and they beat Green Bay, they probably would have kept Mitch. If, you know, he had good numbers, they would have kept Mitch – so more than likely, Chicago's gonna have a new quarterback. So there's a lot of answer a lot of questions they need answered. And New Orleans, you know, I think offensively they can bounce back. Defensively, if they play like this uh this weekend, I don't I don't see New Orleans losing. But offensively, I think they can bounce back better after this game. It is Chicago, so I think a lot of the players are like, oh Chicago, we really don't need to care much. And that's exactly what, you know, we saw. But, yeah, I think overall in this game it's just like, you know, my two takeaways are Chicago needs help, you know, for the quarterback. And Drew Brees is getting older. And this may be his last run to win a Super Bowl. I mean, Drew Brees literally got older. His birthday was – I'm going to double-check when it is. But his birthday was recently – it's actually today, I believe. Today, let me double check this. Yeah, that was tomorrow. I apologize. So he actually is getting older, January fifteenth. So he'll be forty-two when they play this Saturday or Sunday. I forget what day it is. Uh, Casey, your takeaways from the Bears and the Saints game? Yeah, I mean, the Saints just showed pure dominance against the Bears. I mean, the Bears got nothing going until that last second touchdown. But, yeah, I mean, we all knew the Bears weren't going to be a big contender in this year's playoffs. They have been a cluster of a team all season, you know, not been able to decide between one quarterback and the other. It's just a bad time to be a Bears fan, but a good time to be every other fan. Yeah. That Dolan, you have any other uh, final takeaways from that game? Um. It was close for a little bit. I got a, a coworker who's a, who's a who's a bear a uh, Bears fan, excuse me. And uh, now it's close for a little bit. I was cheering them on. Hopefully they pull off the upset, but they didn't, obviously. Um, 
part of it was because I really didn't want to have to play the Packers. I wanted to play Tampa Bay again. Um, as the last time we played Tampa Bay, it was going in our favor. But we see that it didn't happen. Um, p- the Bears need to figure out who their quarterback is because Mitch ain't it, bro. The, he is not it. Uh, they need to figure Anthony something man. out. Also, have a little bit more discipline for their wide receivers, man. Freaking, who was it? Wims dropped a touchdown. It, went, it came in right where it was supposed to be, and he just – it went right through his arms. I was, I was yelling at my TV after that play. I was like, you got to be kidding me. That just that – just, gosh. That, I mean, if he would have caught that, that would have been a confidence booster for your bench. That had gotten hyped up. I mean, especially when you're not at home, there's no fans. Like you gotta, you gotta build that energy and hype your team up from the bench. Uh, man, that that's unfortunate. Um, but you know, credit the Saints. Their defense showed up. Drew Brees did. He had a pretty good game. So did. So did uh, and then the nightcap was and, uh, uh, a game that, well, and the final score will say eleven points was a difference, but. It was not an 11-point difference in terms of the game that we saw played. And, of course, I mean, like in, like this previous game, Pittsburgh's last second touchdown with a minute left in the game to make it closer. But Cleveland, you know, they're not the same Cleveland Browns. The Browns is not the Browns from beforehand, despite what some people will say. And it, with that first quarter, I mean, for the first snap, you have – Marquise Pouncey, one of the best safe, one of the best centers in the league, uh, just oversnap Big Ben, and it goes in the end zone. And then Cleveland recovers it for six instead of, you know, Pittsburgh getting it for a safety, which, I mean, it's still it's bad to get a safety on the first play of the game. We saw what happened in that Rams-Broncos Super Bowl. But, and then Cleveland just after that, everything seemed to go their way, at least in the first half. But I, I was telling you guys, I'm like, I've seen crazier stuff that happen. We have all have. We remember that Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl. So I was like, I don't know if Pittsburgh will come back, but they'll make it interesting. They'll make it close at least. And they did. They kept fighting back. And, I mean, Cody Parkey, who infamously double-jointed in Chicago, he came in clutch, made two field goals with under five minutes to go in the game to push Cleveland out further on top. But I'm just happy for the city of Cleveland. They hadn't won their – since the previous version of the Cleveland Browns that is now the Baltimore Ravens when Bill Belichick was their head coach. So I'm happy. And the best part was they weren't even playing with Stefanski. They had a guy because Stefanski tested positive for COVID. They had a, a special team guy being the interim coach, and he got the win. We were all shocked with this, but even though we took the L and we were surprised, we're all very happy that Cleveland got the win here. I think I speak for everyone here. So I'll go Casey first. You're uh, like that whole first quarter was wild. Obviously, your takeaway from this game. Yeah, the Browns just manhandled the um, the Steelers. I mean, the Steelers came in super cocky. I mean, we've heard all the stories with mm. you know Corvette, Corvette guy, and stuff like that, but. The Browns weren't messing around this time. I mean, they wanted it more. You know, they brought pressure from literally the very first snap and never looked back. You know, whenever Pittsburgh would score and try to get closer, nope, 
Browns put up a touchdown. Whenever, you know, the Steelers try to do anything, there was always an answer. I mean, yes, there was – it looked like the defense wasn't playing, but, you know, the defense played well. Offense played great. Baker had probably one of his best games as a pro. Definitely one of his biggest – definitely probably the biggest game yeah, of his you career know so crazy far. was Big Ben's stat line for the game. 47 completions, 68 pass attempts, incredible. One off of, the course, oh 69, God. nice. Uh, 501 yards – which I, I don't know where that yeah. ranks in terms of playoff history, but I, I would imagine it's like top 10 ish. Uh, but then the one interesting number four touchdowns, four interceptions. First guy to ever do that in a playoff game or any game, I think, ever. So it was, was this Big Ben's last game in Pittsburgh? We'll see what happens this offseason. But I mean, that was interesting. Dawn, uh, your takeaway from that first quarter in the whole game, Cleveland just jumping off on top and then just kind of coasting away at the end. No head coach, no problem. You've seen it here first. You've seen it. We've we've seen it. All right. It doesn't matter. As long as as long as the communication is good, your head coach doesn't even have to be there. The interim head coach can just step on in and just, just assume the role. Um, Pittsburgh is. Oh my god. They. Oh my good lord. I I don't even know what to think of the Steelers. I really don't. Um, Big Ben should probably retire. Um, their run game was non-existent almost. Um, it seemed to me like their game plan was to throw it all over the yard and play good defense, which they only accomplished one of those things. Um, I thought Pittsburgh was a top ten defense, uh, divisional divisional uh, opponent or non divisional opponent. Defense, your defense comes to play no matter what. Um, you saw that with the Rams Seahawks game. Okay, um, the Saints, they play defense despite having to play against a mediocre offense in Chicago. The Steelers' head was definitely not on straight. Um, I think I think they were too into TikTok the entire year. Uh, I think they had too many distractions. I didn't think that they were the first, buttoned up, ready to go. Very first play, very first play, and it showed. Um, the first play, one of the best, the first or second play in the first quarter. Marquise Pouncey messed up the snap and goes right over Big Ben's head. Like, that's that just shows everyone that your team was not ready to play. They just were not. Uh, it's a shame. It really is. Because imagine if Pittsburgh actually would have been buttoned up, ready to play. Imagine if they had discipline. And imagine if they would have had um, – if they would have been serious about playing the Browns. The Browns are a good football team. You can't just overlook the Browns. <laughs> the They've Browns been is well not the, the Browns. Year. So, yeah. Um, and they play without their head coach. 
they put up 48 without their head coach. It's Baker Mayfield threw three touchdowns, no picks against a supposedly top 10 defense. Like this, Pittsburgh does not surprise me. Like they've been doing this for years. Um, good in the regular season against meh opponents, getting to the playoffs, and then just fl- and then just mess up. Just find some way to screw it up. It's it's actually ridiculous. Um, yeah, that late so late season collapse gonna after they're going eleven zero to start the year until they get their head that- straight. I mean, it was possible they could have been undefeated, but also it's like this team is playing some decent opponents here towards the end, and they end up killing them at the end. Uh, Christian, you're uh, – I mean, I know we were, we were all shocked with this game. How, how surprised were you with Cleveland not even competing? They dominate from start to finish in this game. <laughs> I probably should have had a cleaner version on <laughs> but that's exactly the song I'm thinking, Corvette, Corvette. They did not care. And and Chase Claypool came on Monday and Tuesday on interviews and saying, yeah, Browns are going to get whooped. Like, I I seriously don't think that. Like, we'll get to our predictions later. Pittsburgh went 11-0, and I was telling you guys on this show, yeah, they're 11-0. Give them credit for that. I don't think they're the best team because they haven't played the biggest of opponents – they have not consistently been a really good team. They, you know, they lost to Washington, and then kind of everything kind of came loose. Buffalo game, the Bengals game, um, you know, the Cowboys game, they probably should have lost. Uh, Tennessee, they got lucky. Houston and being the season. Like, I did not think Pittsburgh was a great team just because they were undefeated. They're a good team. Don't give me don't get me wrong, but they they were not showing me they are the top dog in the AFC. Like, and I get that you know they had a lot of COVID issues with like Tennessee early, so they couldn't get a bye. They couldn't uh, really rest their guys, but they're they did not. They were not buttoned up. They cared more about social media and the internet more than about football games. And I think they have to really look themselves in a mirror to try and figure out the situation. Big Ben threw four interceptions, which is wild. And it it was just mind it was just mind blowing that Pittsburgh did not show up. It's an eleven point game on paper, and you're thinking, wow, this is a really close matchup. No, from the, like like everyone said from the very first snap, Cleveland wanted to play. And they were they were not going to get embarrassed because we were saying they won by two beating Pittsburgh's backups. Pittsburgh starts their guys; they're going to destroy Cleveland. We were all wrong about that. Give credit to Baker Mayfield. His first playoff game, he threw three touchdowns. He was pretty accurate, twenty-one to 34, 13 incompletions. I think that's pretty good. Uh, he had a quarterback rating of ninety-two, which is decent. Um, their defense—it's very, yeah, it's very good. I, I'm think I'm looking at their rating. The QBR and I was of ninety-two kind of is very good. What um, are you talking about? So QBR of ninety-two—that's really good for, especially Baker, who we have all said, yeah, he's kind of decent. Like 
we all think he's like the third best quarterback in the draft class of 2018. You know, Josh Allen, Lamar, we flip back and forth. But Baker's like, he's a good quarterback, but he's not consistently good. He showed up in Pittsburgh. He showed out. Congrats to Cleveland. It was a really fun experience because uh, my family's side, my mother's side is Cleveland, and my dad's side is Pittsburgh. So I heard a lot of cheers, a lot of boos uh, from both sides. So it was a really interesting night for me and my family. But I just got to say congrats to Cleveland winning and just absolutely showing out with all the COVID issues, uh, almost missing the playoffs because of the Jets loss a couple weeks ago. And Pittsburgh, you got no one to blame but yourselves. Like Mike Tomlin, I'm not going to blame him. I think his guys just didn't want to play. They thought they were Pittsburgh. They thought they were all that. They started off 11-0. and They went 1-5 uh, and five their next – you know, they went 1-4, uh, and four, excusing their last five games. Pittsburgh has nothing – like, they have, they have no say, really. You screwed up yourselves. So, Cleveland goes on to the divisional round and can't wait to see what they do against Kansas City. I mean, I think regardless, Cleveland, that when you deserve to celebrate, regardless of what happens this week against Kansas City, you did something that had not been done in a long time in that city for football. And also of note, Pittsburgh did uh, decide today they're not renewing offensive coordinator Randy Fickner's contract, which I don't really know what to make of that necessarily. But, I mean, I think someone had to go. I guess his contract expired. So there's like, yeah, we're not going to renew it. Um Again, it was a great wild card weekend. Can't wait till next year to also see six games because, you know, that was a very fun weekend. You had nonstop all afternoon, both days. But then on to a uh, divisional round. So, like I said, normally we'd go in order. But uh, if you're not familiar with the other co-hosts of the show, Rams-Packers is uh, very important to these uh, <laughs> co-hosts of mine. So, we're going to bypass that game. We're going to end the show on Rams-Packers note. So we're going to start with the uh, Ravens-Bills. Like I said, last week, both teams, very impressive. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson from the same draft class. Uh, I think it's going to be a run-dominant game, especially if it is in the snow, like the weather is forecasting. But like Lamar has said, he's never played the snow. He played high school ball in Florida, college in the ACC. So he doesn't really have that experience playing like in the snow. So... I think the factor of it being in Buffalo advantages them, but I mean, Baltimore's run game is very good. I think they can, if they can get that going, can compete well. But at the end of the day, this Bills team is a very good team, and I think they could potentially, if they play Kansas City, give Kansas City some fits in the conference title game. But so my pick is going to be Bills, but I do think it will be a very close game. And, again, it's the playoffs. Anything can happen. So, again, wouldn't surprise me if the Ravens pull off the win. But I'm sticking with Bills. Um, I'll go Casey first on this game. Uh, how do you see the Ravens and the Bills going down on Saturday night? Yeah, I got to go with the Bills. The Bills have just been extremely, extremely good. I mean, I don't think there's any team that can really match up exactly with what they have. It's really going to be – whoever can score fastest. I mean, the first person, the first team not to score is going to lose. First team mm-hmm. to, first okay. team to 20 is the one that's going to win. I mean, the Bills, 
have just been unstoppable. They have a great defense. They have a great offense. And the Ravens have to be on the top of their game to compete. Um, Dolan, how do you see the uh, Ravens and Bills playing out? Um, this is going to be – I think this is going to be a close game. If it's going to be in the snow, uh, I get, I think I give Buffalo the edge. Josh Allen played college in Wyoming, um, and now he's playing up in Buffalo. So he's playing he's – he's been pretty much playing in the cold. It's, it's pretty much like his entire life, um, which is why Buffalo drafted him to begin with. Uh, big guy. He's got a big arm, so he can throw it through the through the elements. Um uh, and I just I've been I've, I've really liked Buffalo's offense the entire year, um, even even when they played my beloved Rams in Week Three, um, and playing playing in Buffalo and Orchard Park is a tough task, man. Um, that's probably top five up there in toughest places to play in the NFL. Um, so I think the Ravens' defense is going to have their hands full. They 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 did they did they did pretty well last week against Tennessee, uh, but this yeah. Buffalo Christian. Offense, um, how do you see this before I down? mention that, um, I just I'm like to point out that this year we have three quarterbacks who are drafted in the same uh, draft class. We have three quarterbacks in the same draft class. I think that's pretty impressive in itself. Twenty eighteen, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Baker Mayfield, of course, Rosen and Darnold are trash, and um, they are not in even close to it. But with Buffalo and Baltimore, uh, you got two exciting offenses. You have two exciting, dynamic teams uh, going at it, and a huge and a huge matchup. I think Buffalo does take it. I'm agreeing with everybody here. Uh, I think Buffalo is the only chance or the only AFC team to really compete against Kansas City because I like and with this game, I don't think Baltimore has a secondary player. Like Marcus Peters is probably their best secondary player. Isn't he hurt though? Uh, Marlon Humphrey. But he played that's no. uh, I was like not watching that game, honestly. So, so Marlon Humphrey no, he, is back. He, so he was, he was Marlon going to be, up against Stephon Diggs. Like I think it's going to be a good matchup, but I think Stephon Diggs is one of the best wide receivers we're not talking about. Um, and I think Josh Allen is just an incredible talent. He has really taken a step every single year. And I think Buffalo is just another just hardworking team. And I think Buffalo does take it in the cold in Buffalo in Bill Stadium. So I got Buffalo in this one. Yeah, that game is Saturday night at 8.15 on NBC. You guys can catch it there. Al Michaels, Chris Cosworth. I, believe, I mean, that's the only NBC number one live that I know of. So that be on the call. On a Sunday will be the Cleveland Browns taking on Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. The defending champs probably get a chance to Playing the playoffs this year, the line 10 points, kind of how I think people would expect the line to be. But, again, don't sleep on Cleveland because if they come out like they did, again, I'm not saying Kansas City is going to be on the first play is going to be a touchdown because their center is going to over-snap it. But 
again, I don't know if Cleveland will compete, but again, they they can because they've shown they you know this team is a lot different than Cleveland in the past. But again, that Kansas City offense is just way too powerful. Travis Kelsey has been phenomenal as a tight end this year. Prove why he got that massive contract. Uh, it says Clyde Edwards Elaire is uh, questionable. Sammy Watkins also says questionable. That was from today. So we'll see if they do end up playing. Also, David Njoku on the other sideline for Cleveland's questionable. So it's going to be something to watch out for. But I, I just think Kansas City, they're hungry. They won it all last year. They want to repeat. No one's repeated as champs since the 03 and 04 New England Patriots teams did it. No one's been back since the Patriots did it a couple years ago when they went back to back. They ended up losing the Eagles the second time around. We'll get to see. We'll have to see, but I think they'll get the first step, and I think they will beat Cleveland this Sunday. And if I had to give my prediction, I would go probably by fourteen. I think at the minimum, I think Kansas City is just probably too talented for the Browns. But I mean, I was a close game. I really want to see Cleveland do well. I'll go uh, Christian first on this. How do you see um, the Browns? I think, and Chiefs going I think Kansas City down? does take this game. Cleveland, you know, especially after last week, you cannot sleep on them and say, oh, they're Cleveland, they're the Browns, they're just going to lay an egg against the They can seriously play ball. We saw that last week. And Kansas City, you know, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, they they should watch that game and be like, you know what, this, like, I, we are better, but this is not a team to sleep on. Like, we got to come out – uh, firing on all cylinders because if we slip up, Cleveland could seriously be ahead of the Kansas City Chiefs. As crazy as that sounds, that's a 2020 fan for real. Um, but I think Kansas City, they're just too daggum. They're so much better on, on a lot of different areas in Cleveland. Uh, I don't know about, you know, if the co- I don't think the coaches will be uh, back for this week with Stefanski coming back. Okay, so is back you know, coaching. you know, COVID in like ten days or seven days or whatever the protocol is. Yeah, well, his was also early in the week when they died, when they tested positive, so it's yeah. been. So if they do come back, it'll be it I guess be. better for Cleveland, but still, uh, and like I think Casey mentioned it, like you got to give credit where credit's due for Cleveland. You you want a playoff game, which no one thought you would, and even if you come out and just you just can't compete against Kansas City, I don't think a lot of people are going to say, like, oh, Cleveland's bad and they need to blow up. Like, no, they are a good team. They just need to get a little bit better. They need to, you know, get a little bit help. Um, I think we're offensive line and maybe even uh, defensive line. But I think Cleveland is a good team in the AFC North. So I got Kansas City winning. I got Patrick Mahomes, you know, going to just air out. Uh, against that secondary, so Kansas City all the way. Yeah, Don, I know you, how big a Mahomes fan you are, so I'm guessing you're going to rock Mahomes. So, how do you see this game going down? Um, this could be close. The deciding factor is going to be um, whether or not Kansas City can slow down the run game that is Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, It'll be it'll be tough to see. This could get high scoring really quickly, um, but if Kansas City defense shows up and they play unlike Pittsburgh's defense, um, then 
Uh, I mean, I think I think I think that the Chiefs win either way. But if the defense shows up um, and they stop the run game, it could get or it could get pretty ugly. Um, but if they don't, it's gonna be it's gonna be really really close. Yeah. But I'll take the Chiefs. Casey, are you in consensus on this game too? Yeah, I have to be. I mean, the Chiefs are just one of those teams where it's impossible to bet against them. I mean, they're just so good. Patrick Mahomes is a generational talent at quarterback. I mean, they have the experience, and that's the reason why I'm going with the Chiefs is because of their playoff and championship experience. I mean, this is the Browns' first time in the playoffs. And, they hadn't yeah, won like a game in that long. 26 years. That is yeah that that is crazy. I mean, so I have to rock with the the Chiefs here because of that experience. But I hope it's a cl- close game, and you know I hope I'm wrong. I hope the Browns onto a game that is a, a divisional game, a rematch of a game that happened twice this year: Bucks and Saints, where the Saints swept the team. They swept the Bucks this year, first time in Brady's career that he was swept by a single opponent. So I was kind of interested. I saw a couple of tweets about this. So, how hard is it really to be a team three times in a year? It might not be as hard as you think it is because it's happened 21 times where there have been a team to win two times as a single opponent and then be in the playoffs. And 14 of those times, the team that won both regular season games ended up winning in the playoffs. So, it is fairly likely because, I mean, I mean, it is a division game, so you know each other better. The last few instances was 2017, Saints for the Panthers, three times, won all of them. The last three times, actually, it was done. The last time a team lost in the regular season twice to a team and then beat them in the playoffs, 2007, Cowboys and Giants. Cowboys win the regular season games both times, and then the Giants, you know, win the playoff game and they go to the Super Bowl win all that year. So, it, the odds say it should be on the one side, and I think to a degree they're playing at home, so it should be. But I know Tom Brady in the playoffs last year, notwithstanding. And I think, like, last week, we all discussed it wasn't the best showing in the world. But I just that they've added a lot of talent on that team. They added Antonio Brown. Gronk was not a factor last week, but I think he can be this week. Leonard Fournette on the ground. And again, Brady in January is a quarterback you don't really want to bet against more often than not. So, I'm actually going to take the Bucks in this game. Crazy or not. But I do love Drew Brees. And you got two 42-plus quarterbacks showing down in easily the oldest quarterback matchup ever. Easily the most experienced for a playoff game ever. So, we'll, hopefully they both come back next year and we can get two more games of Brees and Brady. Because that those games will be must-watch television, especially next year. When they do have a like majority packed stadium to watch them play, so I'm going to go start with Dawn on this game. How do you see the Bucks and the Saints going down on Sunday night? I think it's going to be a close game, uh, but it could get ugly really quickly as the Saints, oh, the Saints passing defense is allowing an astounding 199 yards. Uh, the Saints' defense is underrated. People overlook them. Um, the Saints are getting their top sacker in Trey Hendrickson. He's going to be back this week. He had 12 and a half sacks during the regular season. 
Um, yeah, and I think the Saints pull it off. We'll be hey, Christian. How do you see? Uh, so I'm glad we get our first down. little divide uh, before the Green Bay uh, Rams game because I know there's going to be a divide in that game. Um, I think I'm going to decide with Dalton in the same. I think the Saints are going to uh, beat beat Tampa Bay for the third time. I don't think. I don't think Tampa. Like I would not be shocked if Tampa wins because after what we saw in the uh, Saints Bears game. Defense played a major factor, and Drew Brees was not great in that game. And, you know, Drew, you know, he's going to be 42. He, you know, him and Tom Brady are, like, they're they're going to retire in the next, you know, I think three years. Uh, if they're not, you know, we all say that all the time, like, oh, they're going to retire soon. Like, if they're still playing by 45, completely going to be shocked. But – these two guys are legends. They are first ballot Hall of Famers. You cannot deny how talented both of them are. And they've been underlooked you know, their entire careers. Drew Brees in uh, San Diego at the time. Hold on. I got to review just real quick. Breaking news. Jets hiring Robert Sala as head coach. They, he deserves a head coaching spot. We can talk about yes. that in, in a second. Yes. Yeah, it's fine. I actually – Thank God. What yeah. the after we've done the previews? you like that hire for uh, New York? Yeah, that, yes. Yeah, oh. That's awesome for them. Uh, but back to the Saints-Bucks game. Uplifting. I think, yes. like, the, these two guys are Hall of Famers. They've been underlooked their entire careers. And, you know, like I said, Drew in San Diego, Tom Brady not being drafted until the sixth round. Um, these guys had to fight for every single minute of playing time, especially the start. And I think they're going to put on a classic, hopefully. And we all, you know, watch that and like, wow, two absolute great Hall of Fame players playing in a playoff game and probably, you know, I don't think Tom, you know, not Tom's final one, but possibly Drew's final playoff game against Tom Brady. So it'll be, it'll be a classic, I think. But I, I think New Orleans, their defense is going to come ready to play, and so will Tampa Bay. So I don't think it's going to be a real high-scoring game. I don't think either team is going to hit thirty. If they do, both of them will. But I think Saints win by a margin of like three to seven. I think it's going to be a one-score game. Okay, Casey, uh, you're talking on Bucks and Saints. I got the Saints in this one. They've been the hotter football team. Their defense is playing out of their minds. You know, Alvin Kamara is a certified workhorse, and they just mesh better than I, the the um, Buccaneers yeah, both, do with each other. Saints again. They've shown all year. I'm going to be, just be different on this game, and maybe it ends up working in my favor. Maybe it doesn't. I'm end up being a game back the rest of the playoffs from everyone. Uh, so, real quick, we're going to do a Rams-Packers, and then we'll give our uh, instant reaction, a little later on instant reaction, to the Robert Sala news that just broke. But uh, I'll keep my section brief on Rams-Packers since I know you guys know the matchup a lot better than I do being fans of a certain team and probably scouting the other team. So, uh, I'm just going to keep it brief. I'm picking Packers in this game. I think Green Bay is the better team. Aaron Rodgers, MVP performances all year. 
and it's in Lambeau Field. I think that's an advantage. So I think I know how you guys are going to lean. So just give me uh, your breakdown of what you guys want to see too before giving me your prediction. I'll go Casey first on this. Packers and Rams. For which for which game? The Packers Bears. Oh yeah, my bad. Here we go. It's gonna be a good game. Number one offense versus number one defense. However, the Packers defense is higher ranked. Well, how am I gonna put this? The Packers offense and defense overall is higher ranked than the Rams offense and defense. Rams have the twenty second offense. Packers have the thirteenth. I think it's gonna be a very good game. I think that here, what are we looking at here? I think that the Rams are gonna have a lot of trouble on offense, especially with an injured Jared Goff trying to force the ball down the field with the lack of throw power that he has right now. I think that we're going to have trouble stopping Cam Akers um, if he gets going early. I'm interested to see the matchup against Jalen Ramsey versus Devontae. That's going to be a great matchup to see how the Packers secondary and third receivers get going. Um, I mean, you know what I'm going to say. I, I got to go I mean, I get it. Trust your I own mean, team. Bay, you support it year in and year out. So, for this game, I think it's going to be a real good matchup between Green Bay's offense and LA's defense, like Casey mentioned. So, you know, like we mentioned uh, before, Green Bay's offense, they've had more passing touchdowns than punts this year, which is just absolutely phenomenal. How just dominant their offense has been. And with LA... Their defense is shut down. Jalen Ramsey is, you know, top three corner, probably the best corner in the NFL. And him going up against, you know, top three, one of the best five receivers in the NFL, it's going to be a great matchup to see, especially because Jalen has been shutting down every number one corner or number one or number one receiver of respective teams that he's played. So it's going to be a great matchup for that. Uh, Aaron Donald. You know, he got hurt uh, towards the end of the Seattle game. So, he's not on the injury report, but that still could limit him possibly against our offensive line. Uh, You know, also other news with Bakatiari being hurt and our tackle to replace him is now on the COVID list. So, uh, you know, that's going to suck a little bit for Aaron's blind side. But overall, I still think Green Bay does win just because uh, the L.A.'s offense, I don't think they can uh, be consistent enough, you know, with Jared Goff's injured hand. Um, and, and I don't think they can really push uh, push the ball down the field uh, besides Cam Akers. So I think Green Bay does take this, but it's going to be a great game uh, Saturday. Okay. Dawn, I know you're the uh, probably the lone dissenter on this game being a Rams fan. So uh, what do the Rams need to do in order to win this game? All right. Well, uh, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give a little background. First of all, fellas, 
Casey Christian, I just want to say that it's been a good season. Um, I enjoy the pleasure of um, us, you know, our two teams playing against each other in the playoffs. Um, so I'm going to give a quick history lesson. Um, the very first time that the Packers and the Rams played in the playoffs against each other was December 27th, my, uh, of, uh, uh, December 27th, uh, 1963. Uh, this game was known as the, the, uh, the Roadrunner. This was one week before the famous Ice Bowl game. Travis Roadrunner Williams, Green Bay's rookie running back, led the Packers to a win over Roman Gabriel's uh, Rams by a score of 28-7 to in Lambeau Field. The rookie rushed for 88 yards and two touchdowns, making a playoff single-game rushing record until James Starks broke it in 2011. Uh, Green Bay's offense gained 163 yards on L.A.'s uh, fearsome foursome uh, that featured Deacon Jones, Marilyn Olsen, Rosie Greer, and Lamar Lundy. Um, and all right. Further, okay, the last time that the Rams played the Packers in the playoffs um, was in 2001 in St. Louis in the divisional round. This game was known as D for dominance as the Rams won 45-17. to The Rams lost to the Pats by a score of 20-17 to in, in the Super Bowl that year after defeating the Eagles in the conference championship. Um, in that divisional game, the Rams' defense accounted for 21 points, as did their offense. Brett Favre threw two touchdowns and six interceptions. Ahmad Green had not had 16 carries for a 94 yards, and no Green Bay receiver had over 80 yards receiving. That year, the Packers' offense was ranked fifth, and their defense was ranked fifth. Mike Sher- and uh, Mike Sherman was their head coach, and on the offensive, and uh, and of course on the other side, Mike Marks was their head coach. And um, they had some studs over there, obviously, by, by making the Super Bowl that year. Um, and now towards like for like uh, the regular season, the Rams and the Packers played in 2018 in Los Angeles. Obviously, you guys were alive to watch that game. Um, they won 29-27 uh, after Ty Montgomery freaking fumbled on a kickoff return. Still don't know why he took it out. Um but that was it. Last Rams win in Green Bay was 2006 during the regular season uh, by a score of 23 to 20. The Rams lead the series versus the Packers 47-46 and one. The one tie came in 1940 when they tied 13 to 13 when the Rams were still in Cleveland. In our lifetime alone, the Packers lead the series six to four. Now for some present day stats. Obviously, you guys were saying earlier, the number one defense versus the number one offense. Um, Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup should be ready to go this weekend. Uh, from the wild card weekend, uh, Donald left in the third quarter with 10 minutes left, uh, and the Rams were leading 20 to 13. Uh, they gave up seven points the rest of the game without Donald in there, which is which is okay. Um, the, the, that lone touchdown coming in garbage time, essentially, when the Rams were up 30 to 13. Uh, just some quick stats. Uh, I'll start with the Packers. Packers defense, like you all said, is 13th. Darius Smith is by far your all's best defensive player with 12 and a half sacks. Preston Smith with four. Darnell Savage, four INTs. Adrian Amos, two. And Jair with one. Uh, Packers offense, top five. Kind of reminding me of 2011. Yeah, 2011. 
Uh, Aaron Rodgers, 48 touchdowns, five, five INTs. Aaron Jones over, over um, 1,100 yards rushing. Devontae Adams, 1,300-plus receiving and 18 touchdowns. Rams defense, uh, the, uh, of course, of course, uh, number 99 with 13 and a half sacks. Morgan Fox with six. Leonard Floyd with 10. Jordan Fuller has got three picks. Troy Hill with three. Darius with four. Jalen with one. Uh, and then we'll get some quick stats here as well. Uh, the Packers only gave up 20 sacks roughly on the season. Uh, and since 2016, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is 10 and 0 in games with freezing temperatures, throwing for 26 touchdowns and one interception. Um, Rodgers and Adams together in their entire career are one and six against all pro cornerbacks playing Richard Sherman, Josh Norman, Stephon Gilmore, Patrick Peterson twice, and Kyle Fuller twice. Rodgers is 3-1 and one in the divisional round with nine touchdowns and two INTs. He is 0-2 all-time against number one passing defenses, which the Rams are. The Rams are one of two teams to have two players with 10-plus sacks during the regular season in Leonard Floyd and Aaron Donald. So, uh, inclusion, I mean, I know what you all are going to say. Um, the LA Rams can't handle the cold. They're a warm weather team. They have been for years, decades, actually. Um, and both of their starting quarterbacks, well, actually, I should say both of their quarterbacks are injured. Um, Jared Goff with thumb surgery that he had about three weeks ago, and the other with a neck injury. Um, so basically, we're hopping into Lambeau on one leg. Uh, but I will say this, the two things that work in cold weather games and have worked for a long time are a run game and a defense. Um, the Rams have a run game in Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown um, and a defense who has been good for all season for the most part. Um, but on the flip side, the Packers also have a run game and a defense. Um, Matt LaFleur pretty much runs the same scheme as Sean McVay does and same scheme as Kyle Shanahan does. Um, but more to fit his players in Green Bay, especially with Aaron Rodgers. The Rams right now are playing with house money as both of their QBs are injured, like I said. Their star defensive lineman is injured, and their best wide receiver is injured, even though all three might play. The real pressure here is on Green Bay as they are playing at home, off a bye, with the hottest offense in the league right now, and have had back-to-back 13-win seasons and an NFC championship and a uh, – a championship game appearance, but no Super Bowl appearance the last two years to show for it. We shall see what happens as we get towards the weekend to kick off. Of course, I'm going to take the Rams here because they are my team, and I shall support my team even though, even if they are underdogs. I wouldn't be surprised if Green Bay wins this game whatsoever, as though they are the one seed and have an outstanding roster with Aaron Rodgers leading the way. I will say, though, the fact that the Los Angeles Rams are in the divisional round, let alone the playoffs, is a credit to our coaching staff and our GM. For finding the right players in the draft and make sure they fit the schemes that Mouvet and Staley are running. Nobody, absolutely nobody, and I'm talking about you guys as well, uh, had, had, had the, uh, the Rams in the playoffs, uh, except for myself and the Rams fans. Um, and, He's got received on us. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy. I'm just happy that my boys were able to come through with 10 wins uh, despite – our offense not being the best this year. Um, and, uh, but, you know, nonetheless, it should be a good contest uh, this Saturday at 435 in Lambeau. 
Man, thank you, Dal- Professor Bishop, for the uh, history lesson we have there. Thank you. It's a, you did a lot of ring stitches. Thank you. I told thank you, you bro. I was going to come prepared. Yeah, and you sure time. did. You sure did. Uh, on to the uh, surprising news of the day. We can, So b- just a background for us for we had originally planned on recording a little earlier, but then like we all had we all had dinner plans, so we ended up pushing it back a couple hours. We ended up working our favorite. Now we got the Robert Sala hire. It, good thing we didn't do it earlier because otherwise it would have broke after the show ended. Uh, Shepard's reporting Robert Sala first. Justin Anderson got to give her credit. She was the first to break the news. Uh, also, uh, 49ers passing game coordinator Mike Lafleur, brother of Packers coach Matt Lafleur is expected to be the new OC for the New York Jets, which is a good move because if you're unfamiliar, Robert Sala is the defensive coordinator. So him being defensive mind, you got to get a good, strong offensive mind in that system. And depending on if they keep Darnold at quarterback or take Justin Fields at two, it will be interesting. Or another quarterback like Zach Wilson. It will be interesting to see how uh, younger LaFleur does with him. And, of course, Sala, as Dawn alluded to, very happy to get him out of the West because Sala, like we saw happen last year when the 49ers defense was healthy. Also, they had a lot of first round draft picks on the defensive line, but they all got up, got pressure, and they ended up being really well. So I'll go Dalton first because you're very excited this hire. I'm a little not excited because personally, I thought he was going to the Detroit Lions because he's from Michigan. And also, I got to play the Jets twice a year. I'm not looking forward to a dominant Jets defense next year. So, Dalton, you first. Your uh, takeaways from you've been facing Sala for the last few years. So, how do you feel to have him out now? Um, I feel great. Yeah, my mood was just lifted. Thank you for breaking the news mid podcast. You know, everybody could hear my static and you know, great mood. Um, bro, they Robert Sala. I've been saying this for years. He should have got a hook catch. He should have got a head coaching job last year. Like he. He was, he was, he, he like had his players flying around and they were playing outstanding defense. Um, it was such a pain to play against his defense twice a year because um, they got speed uh, with the 49ers defense. They had speed to get to the sideline. Uh, they could stop the run. They could defend the pass extremely well. And um, you shall see Robert Sala uh, trying to build the same defense that he had in San Fran in um, New York. Um, Jets fans might have to be a little bit patient um, because the Jets don't exactly have the uh, same foundation on defense that San Francisco does. Um, The Jets have Quinton Williams and CJ Mosley, and I think that's about it. Um, San Francisco is very, very deep on the defensive line, and they have Richard Sherman and Jason Perrett in the back end. Uh, and also, not to mention, all-pro linebacker Fred Warner in the middle. Uh, so, uh, it, it's good hire Jets fans, but you're going to have to be patient with him for a little bit as he's going to have to build this roster. Yeah, um, Chris, I'll go to you next. Your uh, takeaways from the uh, hire. Uh, I think it's a great hire for New York. Uh, Robert Saya is a phenomenal the defensive mind in the NFL and he, his defense, even though basically the entire defensive line got hurt uh, in the week two and week three of the season, 
Uh, finished fifth in uh, defense rankings in the NFL. So they they're phenomenal defense, even though they were uh, just injured prone all season. And I think like Dalton, they like New York fans. They have to be patient because New York and San Fran, even though records are somewhat similar, their team and their roster are not even close to competitive. So I think it's a great move for New York. I think uh, he could seriously make uh, New York uh, a possible contender in that division in about a year or two, and. You know, I think, and because Spencer, you mentioned that you thought Detroit would be the likely uh, new home of Robert, but I think when you look at the teams, the number two overall pick, they have some weapons, you know, some guys on defense, like uh, you know, we mentioned Quinnen Williams, we mentioned C.J. Mosley, uh, Marcus May, I think is a decent safety, but uh, they really have nothing else besides them. Um, and, you know, number two overall pick, they can go Justin Fields. They can go a lot of different ways with that team. So, and, you know, Makai Becton as well, former uh, tackle for the University of Louisville. Uh, they have some nice pieces there that can set the foundation for that team for the future. So I think that's why it's more appealing to coaches than, say, Detroit. But I think it's a great hire. Um, and I think New York is definitely on, I mean, you can't really get worse from two and 14, but I think they're seriously going to be, uh, possibly leaps and bounds, uh, better than what they were the the last couple of years. I mean, you say you can't get worse, but we saw you one in 15 Browns single 0 and 16 the very next year. This isn't like a Hugh Jackson situation. Um, Oh. Yeah, no, it's not, they don't have you. They'll be better than that. I mean, they, I, I presume, obviously. Uh, Casey, your uh, instant reaction to the news of Robert Sala going to New York. I don't York. know much about him, but from the reaction of Dalton, it must be a pretty big thing. Yes. Well, think back to last year's uh, conference title game with San Francisco's defense, how that turned oh, out. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Casey. Oh, That's why I'm happy to get him it out is, of the division. So, gosh, yeah, it's a this is a very long episode. <laughs> we actually got kicked from our first uh, stream for going two hours on that one, just talking with this. Uh, if you made it this far in the podcast, thank you so much. We definitely appreciate you taking the time to listen to every single second of this show and get our opinions on stuff. We'll be back next week, recapping divisional games previewing the conference change game. And, if, you know, if a coach hire happens off the air, we'll get you covered on that uh, next week when we're on. So thank you again for listening to Out of Bounds. As always, I'm Spencer Brown. I'm Dalton Bishop. I'm Christian Ernst. And I'm Casey Reardon. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Have a good rest of your day.